follow along with me in reading Luke 6, 17 through 26, page 951. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because straight is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are wit, rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Please turn to Acts 2, 1 to 13, page 1004. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. And we'll be reading now from Matthew 25, 31-40, page 916. The Sheep and the Goats. 
when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those of his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in? Or needed clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, You did for me. I don't know what energy looks like. I have a a slight idea of what it feels like, although not lately. In fact, as we were back in my office preparing to come out and and minister this morning, all of us were noting how uh, fatigued we feel and just how the season seems to have taken so much from us, and yet um, God's energy is without limits. Now, I'm not a physicist, and I'm not going to get into theoretical things that I don't know anything about, and some of you know much more about than I do, and some of you know nothing about either. But I understand that there is some interchangeability between matter and energy. I also know that when... God is described, he's described as a consuming fire. I don't know what that means exactly. I just know that in my sinful state, I cannot exist in his direct presence. So with those very limited sorts of understandings and comments, I would take us to the burning bush in the desert. Matter combusts. It's a radical expression of energy. In fact, it's a transformation and utilization of energy that's so extreme and so rapid, it's felt not just as heat, but it's visible heat in the form of flames. So there's something very, very, very odd about a bush that's burning and not consumed. There's no combustion taking place there. We're used to combustion. We understand how to use fire in thousands of ways. But we don't understand fire with no combustion. And what Moses is sensing is this energy. That's all I can describe it as. Something in this bush 
some sort of presence, some sort of heat, some sort of consuming fire veiled in a form that won't destroy him. And out of the voice, out of the fire comes a voice. Moses. Close your jaw and take off your shoes. That's right. This is holy ground. Such an odd request in today's culture. Take off your shoes. Of course, you're welcome to do that here if you would like. This is its own form of holy ground. But in this moment of Eastern tradition and respect, Moses removes his shoes as a sign of his humility at the request of his God in the presence of an energy that is present, but in this case not consuming, an energy that speaks with a voice of clarity and reason and a command of God. Now, I've described something as best I can without having any idea of what being there must have been like, except that it elicited the feeling of awe. The presence of God moves us to a place of the experience of awe. Awe and wonder. And I'm not talking about shock and awe of American military politics as great as that might look and be and as tremendous as the sound and the destruction, I'm talking about the kind of awe that comes from being in the presence of being, capital B. The kind of awe that comes from being touched by an energy that's so vast and so amazing that kissing our forms to life, he imbues us with life for generations to come. The energy of God resides in each of us and it returns to him when we die. We borrow life from him, but for a while. So in this encounter with God, in this burning bush that is not consumed, Moses is in the presence of something greater than himself. And this presence calls him to a point of service he would never choose for himself, ever. He has left Egypt, a wanted man. He has married the daughter of a priest in a little desert uh, oasis, nomadic people. He has agreed to tend sheep. He's become a father. He is one who is living the domestic life and we don't know whether he's thrilled to pieces or not. It doesn't say. It says that one day God showed up and said, I have something for you to do. Moses, you know the story, looked for every excuse in the book. I'm busy. That sheep to tend. I don't talk so good. My guess is that Moses spoke just fine. His Egyptian may have been a little rusty. 
you realize, of course, we, we, don't, we have sort of polite forms in, in English. We avoid certain words and construct our grammar a little bit differently if we really want to be polite in, Egypt, in, in, in English. But we don't have forms. In Korean, there are four forms of language. Four. You have to know a whole different word and, cons- and sentence structure in some cases for each of the four forms in order to speak appropriately to the person you're addressing. You must speak to an older person differently than you speak to a peer and differently than you would a younger person. And then there's that whole world of what we would call blue language in, in Korean as well. I don't know what ancient Egyptian was like, but I imagine that Moses could still put the words together or still hear the language, but he may have felt very uncomfortable trying to speak in the presence of a royal. That's my guess. God gives him Aaron. It's a hard bargain, and we marvel at the patience of God, who ought to be wrought and wroth with Moses, but is not finally just tells him to do it and sends him on his way. But I think the presence of God in this consuming, non-consuming energy is an amazing thing for Moses. It's recorded years later. He never forgets it. It's the sacred moment of encounter. Fast forward a long time. I don't have an exact year count for you, but Jesus Christ has come to earth. He's ministered. He's been crucified. He's ascended. Believers are gathered, fearful, not knowing what to do, praying, seeking guidance. Jesus has promised both to come again and to send a comforter. And they're gathered in this room. And it's close to Pentecost. And God comes again in power. Now, Acts describes this as tongues of flame. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. A little ball of fire separating into little flames of fire which rest over hair. Ladies, with that hairspray of yours, watch out. But obviously, it's not that kind of thing. Once again, we're looking at a fire that doesn't consume. We're looking at a presence that's dramatically and utterly restrained and muted. God has shown up. The energy of God is in the room. People are empowered. And just like at the burning bush, there's a call. Jesus had already given it. You're familiar with it. It's in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching everyone in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's a very rough paraphrase, but you get the idea. They had a commission. They had a mission. They had a purpose. They just weren't sure what to do with it. And when the energy of God comes to them, and the presence of the Spirit comes to them, they begin to understand. Gifts are theirs. Moses needed the gift of speech. They got the gift of speech. 
The Bible records for us dozens of nationalities from all over Asia Minor, Greece, and beyond, Macedonia, North Africa, who were there at that time and heard the gospel presented in their language. The miracles that were a hallmark of the ministry of Jesus now go on in an empowered group of followers. And the church takes off. Thousands are added to the church. Thousands daily. We're in the season of celebrating that empowerment. We're a people of faith. We're a people as Adventists of Trinitarian faith. A faith that says not only has God always been with his people, but God sent his son who revealed the Father in a whole new way. Set us straight about the love and sacrifice of God and his purpose for us and his desires for us, his hopes for us, his redemptive love. And God sent his spirit. Comforter, Christ says, I'm going to send you one. And he comes. This thing, this energy, this spirit. And enlivens the early church. And remains with us today. I don't fully understand. I don't even know that I mostly understand what that Pentecost feeling is with that energy of God. But I know that he's with us and I know that his energy can be ours. When we read Luke's gospel of the Sermon on the Plain, we often read Matthew's, not Luke's. We read the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a longer sermon and it may be that it's exactly the same sermon with some some different context notes. Or it could be that it's the same sermon but preached at different times and different circumstances in different locations with variables in different lengths. And that would be my guess. We preachers do tend to repeat certain materials. And Christ is giving the Sermon on the Plain and it is a very different kind of sermon than the Sermon on the Mount. It's very literal. It's very practical. It isn't esoteric, blessed are the poor in spirit. What is somebody who's poor in spirit? It's blessed are the poor. It isn't blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Psalm 42, I think. It's blessed are you who are hungry. You who are thirsty. It brings the discussion down to the most basic human and even material level. And Jesus is addressing people about their daily needs. Just as this prayer addresses. Give us this day our daily bread. Two meanings. Just like the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. There is the daily bread of life. Bread, literally. What we eat, what we thrive on, what we survive on physically. And the 
Christ who says, I am the bread of life. As we were talking about in our class today with the juniors, the baptismal class, going back to the table of showbread, unleavened bread, the bread of Passover, the bread of the night of deliverance. Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be fed. And woe to you who are full, because you're going to be hungry. It's that upside-down kingdom thing in Luke, and a very different sermon than the one, as I said, in Matthew. Much different, many different concerns. Jesus brings this focus as he does in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, the separation of the goats and the sheep doesn't occur based on the Matthew sermon. It's based on the Lucan sermon. It doesn't say, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness and who fed that, now receive your reward. It says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. It's reduced to the most basic level. The other counts, too. The other is important, too. The Matthew sermon is beautiful, and it's important, and I'm not denigrating it or borrowing, taking, taking from it in order to build Luke up. I'm giving you a different, a different sermon. We have in this valley, as you see in my notes, a minimum of 6,000 homeless people. They're not the kind of homeless who push carts around and talk to themselves and look crazy and act crazy and are filthy and so forth. They're people like you, like me, who have struggled economically in these last few years, maybe gotten upside down on their home, There are people who have lost jobs. Sometimes it's the result of bad luck. Sometimes there have been poor decisions made. Who knows what all goes into it? It's complex. But they found themselves at the end of a financial rope and without resources. And they're parking in relatives' and friends' driveways, living in motorhomes and trailers, sleeping in cars, couch surfing from living room to living room from week to week. And they desperately want to get back to normal. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're naked. They need help. Family Promise has approached us, local organization, and uh, much bigger than that as well. It's all over. In fact, there are multiple chapters over 60 chapters is what I understand. I'm, 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 140, Eric tells me, chapters of this, which are usually metropolitan-based. I know our sister church, the Burbank Seventh-day Adventist Church, is participating in this program. We partner in this valley with other churches in this valley, which is a wonderful ecumenical piece. We partner with them under the auspices of Family Promise. And we agreed to house three families up to 13 or 14 people for a week at a time, one week a quarter. 
We're going to try that. Sabbath school classrooms off to the right here will be transformed into bedrooms. The fireside room will become a place where tutoring and meals and in the winter fires and TV and all that sort of stuff happen. We'll have a couple or two volunteers here on campus to help in case there's a question or an emergency or a problem to provide some security. We'll interact with them on a a ministry basis. There are lots of logistics that we're working out. There's a center for them to go to for job training, for tutoring, for showering, for all kinds of things. There's a 87% success rate, I want to say, with this program and getting people into jobs and back on their feet. It's a marvelous chance that we have. It's a chance to take the empowerment of this season, this energy from on high, this Pentecost, this spirit movement, and fulfill Luke, and fulfill Matthew 25, to do for Christ in the form of another to be the hands of God. It's a chance for us to embrace our community. It's a chance for us to love our fellow men. It's a chance to speak. It's a chance to introduce someone else to the awe and wonder of the sacrificial, giving, loving God that we serve. Tomorrow the white suit goes away. You won't see it for another year. Well, maybe the pants during summer, I don't know. You're sick of it anyway, right? I know I am. Tomorrow the white suit goes away. The season is over. We're at the celebration point. Empowerment has come. Not just salvation, but empowerment has come. I want you to... to, to, Think about that for just a second because I also had us read from a passage in this, in this Lucan passage. Note that Jesus is healing. Did you catch that before he starts teaching? Let's just find the words there because I, I think it's worth really noting what's going on in that passage in Luke. I just want you to hear what's happening with Christ. He went down and stood with them on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to what? Touch him. Listen to this. (laughs) Because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now this is what was happening post-Pentecost as well. Christ was filled with this power, this energy, this godness. And people are being healed in his very presence. Just as Moses is compelled to go serve, And just as those empowered on the day of Pentecost are able to teach and preach in languages they don't know, the energy of God has come 
in Christ and all near him are being healed. They want to just touch him, to sense that energy, to be in that presence, to be filled. I don't see a swirling ball of energy dividing into flame for us today. But I don't want us to discount that either. By prayer we should all ask God for the energy of his healing presence. We might be a balm to our community. Through prayer we should all seek the energies to reach beyond our lives and ourselves and help another. Through prayer we should all seek the energies that renew us and give us the experience of awe and wonder that allows us to teach and preach and speak the truth of the God we know to those we love, those who want to hear it. We need that energy to be his hands and his feet. And the world will be blessed and the commission fulfilled. And when our time to rest comes, at resurrection morn, the words we long to hear will be said, well done, good and faithful servant.